Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Chris Plank from Fox Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Big 12, as well as the Sooner Sports Network and KREF in Norman and Oklahoma City. Got plenty to discuss with Plank when he joins us coming up later on in the program. We'll touch on Patrick Mahomes' historic contract extension. Also going to ask him about Big 12 football. Are we going to see it this year? What's it going to look like? And, of course, we'll get in a little time to talk some NASCAR with our buddy Plank when uh, he stops by coming up later on in the program here on the Jones Report today. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day here on the Jones Report. And it's been a good week, an eventful week. I had Jason Whitlock on the radio show just a couple days ago. Later on in the show, I do want to play you some of that uh, segment for you. It was uh, definitely one of those uh, moments where you sit back and just – uh, set, you know, just let that guest say what he wants and get it off his mind. Because, uh, man, uh, he brought the heat, Jason Whitlock did, uh, earlier this week. And uh, we'll get to those highlights coming up later on in the program. Thomas Bridges off this week. We'll still have your Tom Fullery story of the week coming up later on in the show. Uh, but where I want to start today, of course, is with the historic news of Patrick Mahomes is contract extension staying in Kansas City for the next 12 years. And the way this plays out, there's so many different parts and pieces to this uh, of how this all comes together, how this machine works in Kansas City. And, you know, going into this, there was some big questions about how exactly do you keep the ship afloat of paying a quarterback as good as Patrick Mahomes and still be a contender? What we've seen over the last several years in the National Football League, probably about the last decade plus, is that whoever got paid when it came to quarterbacks, immediately their teams took a step back. And the teams that have been winning Super Bowls for the most part have been teams on with quarterbacks on cheap or rookie contracts. The Patrick Mahomes to the Nick Foles of sorts. That way you can use your money on other players and things. That's been kind of the formula. Uh, case in point, look at Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Won a Super Bowl pretty early on in his career, and he got paid, made him the highest-paid quarterback in the league, and they've been an afterthought since then. One NFC championship since that time. Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, who I think is still a very good quarterback there in San Francisco, San Fran paid him at the right time, where – he wasn't getting uh, top quarterback in the league money. He was getting good money, but still enough money to spend on other positions of some sort. You go on down the line, how that works, that's been the recipe in the National Football League. With the Chiefs, if you recall, just a couple of years ago, the big reason why the Chiefs moved on from Alex Smith uh you know, besides just the fact that they were able to find uh, you know, a future Hall of Famer in Patrick Mahomes. But one of the biggest reasons why that they decided to move on from Alex Smith several years ago was that for a mid-level talent of some sorts, you know, Alex was top 15, top 20 quarterback. He wasn't worth paying the money that he was due, uh, you know, when you considered how much money they needed to uh, allocate for other positions and such. And that cap trap that John Dorsey got the Kansas City Chiefs in. And so now... 
You go to Mahomes. You benefit from that rookie contract. And now what? You say to yourselves, um, in that first contract, you had a window, a window of opportunity uh, to take advantage of that rookie contract. And you lost a year of that when you benched Patrick Mahomes as a rookie uh, and played Alex Smith. And so now you got four more years after that um, to try to make that work. And the Chiefs have done a terrific job of taking advantage of the rookie contract years after he sat out his first year in Kansas City, getting to an AFC championship game the first year, getting to a Super Bowl the next year. And now as you go forward, Mahomes is still going to play out the last two years of his rookie deal. He's going to get paid uh, like a million and a half to two million dollars this next season, which is just next to nothing. Um, and then the Chiefs picked up his fifth-year option, which he's due about $24 million on that fifth-year option. Significant pay pump, but not even close to what he's about to make here pretty soon. And so then, with that being said, you're talking about that Patrick Mahomes, even with signing an extension and getting that massive payday, largest in American sports history and such, Patrick Mahomes still, for the next two seasons, is going to play for $26 million. That is a bargain if I've ever seen one before. And in this deal, although the numbers are very high, Patrick's going to be a very wealthy man, um, this is still team-friendly, believe it or not. And here's why. What's going to happen in the NFL here in just a couple years, the TV contracts are going to be up. And I don't know how much TV you've been watching lately, folks, But the ratings for the NFL are pretty incredible, about better than anything else. They beat NCIS and Dancing with the Stars and American Isle and all that stuff. Football is king, in particular the National Football League. Sunday Night Football has been the number one show on television for a decade plus. Uh, You know, the CBS and Fox afternoon packages. Heck, Thursday Night Football averages 18 million viewers a week. Uh, Those are massive audiences that they are bringing in. And with everybody having access to the Hulus and the Netflixes and of the world, uh, you can watch your shows without having cable, uh, without having an antenna of some sorts. What you can't do is you still can't uh, watch live sports without uh, having an antenna or cable TV. There's still value for these networks to stay relevant by having the National Football League live on Sundays. And so they're getting paid. The networks are paying tons of money right now, as is, uh, for these NFL packages. But just watch. This next contract, it's even going to go up. It's going to be even more than what it is now. And so that's going to raise the salary cap, even with the COVID stuff and all this. um, There's always going to be enough money in the National Football League, and these teams will see the rewards of that. So with that being said, you pay Patrick $45 million a year um, over the next 10 years, and that doesn't count incentives and all that stuff. With incentives, he can make over $500 million dollars. And in all likelihood, he probably would. Um, You get to about year four, year five, when you have the new TV contracts, the new salary cap and all that, 
all of a sudden you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who's the best quarterback in the league, and he's underpaid, even at $45 million. When some yahoo signs a deal for 60 or $65 million, all of a sudden Patrick Mahomes looks cheap, and you get him for the next five years that way. So the back half of this contract works out really well for the Chiefs. Here's the deal. There's two things the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes wanted to accomplish uh, with this new contract, and they did exactly that. Uh, Patrick Mahomes wanted to make it very clear, and the Chiefs did, that he was going to be here for a very long time. They've done that. The commitment is shown. It's there from the Chiefs and from Patrick Mahomes both. He's not going anywhere. The other thing that this has done is that it's going to work out for both sides when it comes to money. The Chiefs wanted to pay Patrick a lot of money. They knew he deserved it, um, but Patrick also wanted to work with the team to be in a position where he wasn't taking all of the uh, payment, where everyone else can still get paid. And with as much as they've put in the signing bonus and the cap hits and stuff, believe it or not, there's still money for Chris Jones out there. They could actually work out a deal where Chris Jones could have a nice paycheck, maybe not necessarily where he gets the best offer where he could play for you know a losing team like the Bengals or something, but he could still have a nice payday and stay in Kansas City. Um, they have worked that out. And then another thing you'll look at is if – the rich couldn't get any richer there in KC. Patrick Mahomes is 24 years old. The oldest guy in that young core that they have there at the skill positions is Travis Kelsey at 30 years old. That's it. Tyreek's young. McColl is young. Um, and Sammy Watkins, I guess, is a little bit older. But, you know, Sammy's not going to be there past this year. We all know that anyway. Um, you know, you look at, uh, you know, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, he's a rookie. Uh, all these different parts and pieces that they've assembled are going to be there for a while. And in this 10-year contract, um, there's a good chance that Patrick Mahomes plays maybe seven, eight, nine years, who knows how long, with Tyreek or plays a decent amount with Clyde Edwards-Elair. You have your finan- your financial uh, foundation set for a long time. You are cool as day. Now, there is another part of this. Uh, injury is always a concern. That's the reality of sports. That's the reality of football, that injury is always a possibility. And you say, well... If Patrick's guaranteed all this money, what if he has a career-ending injury, God forbid? You know, he had an injury this past year, and our jaws all dropped against Denver when it looked like that he was going to be out for the season and then had a miraculous recovery, and he ended up being okay, and he came back better from injury than he was beforehand. And that's certainly always possible, but I'm sure they put an insurance policy on this when you got a guy that is as talented as Patrick Mahomes is, a once-in-a-lifetime player, the most talented quarterback I've ever seen, I'll take my chances. If I can lock up Patrick Mahomes for 10 years, knowing there's a risk of injury, I'll take my chances on that. It's a great deal. 
the the Chiefs have done a really good job putting this together. Brett Feach, I'm telling you, this guy's been GM for just a few years now. He was in the Chiefs organization before that, and Brett has this figured out. He's got the numbers game down pat. Um, it is amazing what he's done, especially compared to his predecessor, John Dorsey. John could evaluate talent, and he was a good, he did a good job of that. But Dorsey was terrible with the cap, and Veach has worked around that. And, and what we've seen for this system, and I think this is what's going to be in place for the future with Veach in charge, is that Veach values uh, the offense and the skill position players first. They've made it clear that's where their money goes. And then everything else is secondary after that. Um, you know, when you go to the defense and those guys, the offensive guys are always going to get paid first. And Patrick Mahomes is always going to have weapons there one way or the other. And then they'll just make everything else work. You know, on that defense, um, right now, that linebacker group uh, doesn't look great and – Looks pretty young. You know, Willie Gay Jr., their second-round pick, is going to be a starter playing on a rookie contract. The corner group, uh, you know, is is not great, and Bashad Breland is going to be suspended at least the first four games, possibly even more after that. So then that brings up a big question mark. Um, but those cornerbacks, since Veach has been GM, he has never signed a cornerback for more than a one-year contract. That's not something they value. Um, they have a system in place. They know what they like. They know what it takes to win. They've seen it work, and they're going to continue to do that for many years to come. It is a great time in Kansas City. Uh, even among this world of COVID that we're living in, I know it was unfortunate here in the news that Arrowhead is going to have reduced capacity this season. It wasn't a surprise uh, by any means. But the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs is not going anywhere. And one of my favorite Patrick Mahomes stats, maybe my favorite of all Patrick Mahomes stats, is that in his time playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes has never lost a game by more than seven points. And he hasn't lost very many games. But in every game, it's been close. And so you have to think that as long as you have Mahomes, you are in every game. And that is what the Chiefs have locked up. That's what the pin they've put on the dotted line says, we're going to compete for the next decade plus, that we're going to put a good product out there and compete for Super Bowls. Now, how many Patrick wins in that stretch? This league's tough. Super Bowls aren't easy to come by. How many MVPs he wins? Um, you know, he's going to be the best player in this league. Uh, no offense to Lamar Jackson or Aaron Donald and a few other these guys, but he's going to be the best player in this league for a while. And this Chiefs team with 22, 20 of 22 starters coming back next year, they're loaded. They're set for another Super Bowl run this upcoming season. And then beyond that, the foundation is set where they can contend for more Super Bowls, get more MVPs. The sky's the limit. I would hate to even put a number on saying what Patrick Mahomes is going to do in that stretch of these next 12 years uh, because I don't, 
I feel like even then I'm kind of limiting Patrick Mahomes, saying that he'll do this or that. Everything to this point throughout these last two years has been above every expectation possible, realistically, realistic expectations, to be the MVP, the Super Bowl MVP, to win that many games in the first two years as a starter, to put up that many yards, that many touchdowns. Um, it's just unbelievable what this guy has done. And the best is yet to come. Patrick Mahomes is in year three. He's 24 years old. He's not even close to his prime yet, folks. There's still a long ways to go in this fantastic and uh, unbelievable career that is uh, for Patrick Mahomes throughout these next couple of years. Uh, I was just seeing a quote from him the other day that he didn't learn to read defenses until halfway 20, through 2018, that he was just slinging it out there. Can you imagine if he continues to study the playbook and learn, learn to read defenses and such? Oh, my gosh. It's unbelievable. And then on top of that, while we continue to praise Patrick Mahomes in this contract, the, the last thing on this that I will add is what you have to think about with Patrick, too, is that in every way, this guy has carried himself perfectly. He hasn't caused you any controversy. He has been a great leader. He's not afraid to speak up. Um, you know, he's very active and involved in the community. He stays in Kansas City year-round. Uh, he is the guy that you want your daughters to marry. Um, and not just because he's really rich now. Um, I mean, he, he's got it all. And so, you know, he is – if you didn't tell me that he was – from Tyler, Texas, I wouldn't know. I mean, he is he walks around, and he seems like he's just one of Kansas City's own kids. I mean, he fits in this area and represents us, represents this community so well um, that you have exactly what you want in an ambassador and a face of a franchise in Patrick Mahomes and what he does and how he conducts himself on and off the field. Um, it's Tremendous in every sense. And then on top of that, even bringing a Whataburger, uh, stepping up there. I mean, me, uh, you, you guys know, it's no secret I love me some Whataburger. And, you know, on top of all the great things Patrick Mahomes does, now it looks like Whataburger's coming here because of uh, the words that Patrick Mahomes said. And so uh, thank you, Patrick. Uh, we, we I think everybody owes – Patrick Mahomes, a thank you of some sorts, not only for the football that he's played and you've just been so terrific on the field, but how he's been off the field. He's been everything that Kansas City Chiefs fans could ask of and more, and a definitely a reason to be excited for the next several years to come of what exactly he's going to bring to the Kansas City Chiefs. The sky's the limit. Just watch out. My buddy Ethan uh, Koch uh, out in Topeka, he put together some, this is what I call uh, next-level, next-gen stats. And we mentioned Patrick Mahomes uh, bringing in Whataburger and uh, being the voice that really got the ball moving on that. Um, get this. Each Whataburger franchise costs about $1.2 million to start. And I'm still looking for investors to start, by the way. Um, he could buy with his new contract – 333 Whataburger franchises. 
And then on top of that, the honey butter chicken biscuit, which is about two fifty nine before tax. The new location uh, for Whataburger and the Lee Summit, that's going to be the first one, has a 4.225% sales tax, bringing the total of about $2.70. Patrick Mahomes could buy 148,148,148 honey butter chicken biscuits for $400 million from uh, Whataburger and still have $100 million left over. That's a that's a lot of Whataburger that uh, Patrick Mahomes could be consuming. But, uh, yes, very excited for Patrick Mahomes. The future is set, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take my chances. If he gets injured, um, look what Matt Moore did in even filling in for him um, and what Patrick did to coach up Matt Moore and everything, too. Uh, watch out, folks. The, the best is yet to come. I'm not kidding when I say that. Uh, Plank coming up here in just a little while from right now. And uh, with Plank being here, we want to talk college football. Now, full disclosure, we taped with Frank, with uh, with Plank on uh, Wednesday. And that was before the Big Ten and some of these other conferences had made the moves that they were looking at when it comes to this college football season about what it's going to look like with these non-conference games not happening. And so when we have that conversation uh, just keep that in mind that uh, we were talking as of Wednesday where we stood. But the news that came out this past week, the Big Ten made it official that they will not have non-conference games this upcoming college football season. And that's certainly alarming Then, within a few hours, we get word, reports are out that the ACC and the Pac-12 are going to do the same thing and expect it and make an announcement of some sort. So the ball was really moving on this. Still waiting on the SEC and the Big 12. They'll probably be the last ones to make any decision of some sorts one way or the other. But when this is all said and done, probably, most likely, everybody's going to be doing this, of not playing – you know, college football non-conference games in 2020. It's unfortunate, but it's certainly not surprising. And, you know, just even a few weeks ago, college football as a whole and the FBS level and the Power Five schools had everything going their way in regards to time. It was early on in the process. They could figure out, you know, where they want to go, line up plan-wise, okay, you know, here's uh, when you're going to quarantine these guys. You're going to do some testing, and then you're going to start the voluntary workouts after that. Plenty of time to figure it out. And they still fumbled this one away as a sport. It's been a mess these last couple weeks of players coming back and trying to do testing and all and and, uh, shutting down voluntary workouts and all that. It's been a disaster. Uh, You know, KU – Uh, Shut down voluntary workouts with 12 guys testing positive. Oklahoma went from 14 guys testing positive to uh, everybody uh, passing their tests with no positive cases. That was good. Oklahoma State had uh, 14. Uh, K-State had 12, I believe. I mean, the list goes on and on just across the country. The numbers at some of these SEC schools, Alabama was real high. I think Clemson's was in the 30s and such. Just a disaster when it came to these COVID tests and having to shut things down and such. Well, then 
we get word from the Ivy League that they are moving all of their fall sports, including football, to the spring. Now, the reason why that's significant, why that catches the eye, why there's interest there of sorts, is if we go back to March, it was the Ivy League that canceled their conference tournament before anyone else did. And eventually, of course, all the conferences followed suit, and the NCAA tournament was canceled shortly thereafter that, right? That's what went down there. So now the Ivy League is being looked at, not necessarily as everybody has to do what the Ivy League does, but, you know, they're pretty smart. Um, Let's see what they're doing and if that's going to be what everyone else has to do. They're the ones that are going to put themselves out there first to make some aggressive move of some sorts. It certainly catches everybody's eye, but does not have a direct effect on the FBS or the Power Fives. And then you see these Power Five conferences push this direction. It looks like everybody's going to go this way. Um, But I got to tell you, I am very nervous now about whether this college football season is going to happen. Now that we've gotten to this point, when we had everything that looked like was going to work out to make this college football season happen in some way, shape, or form, it's July, and we're already behind the eight ball. That's not good. And I don't know, once you're behind the eight ball, if you can ever catch back up to the eight ball and get this thing on track. I'm very nervous about the prospects of a college football season happening at this point. Um, I want to stay optimistic. Uh, I want to stay hopeful that we find a way to get this in. But if the train is coming on the tra- coming off the tracks, I don't know how we get back on at this point, um, the way things are going right now. Uh, I saw Oklahoma is trying to move up their Missouri State game and still play that uh, you know, a week earlier. And so that's an interesting move of some sorts. The, the problem is, and I, I've talked about this for many years, is that in college football, you don't have any uniformity. Um, you know, that was what caused the big conference realignment in the issues of sorts several years ago of teams hopping ship from conference to conference was there, there was just no oversight of some sorts um, to make that happen. And we've continued to see problems of not having everybody on the same page time and time again. And now what we're seeing with this is that because there's no oversight, because the powers that be uh, aren't on the same page, then everybody is taking their own detour of some sorts, and this thing becomes a mess to deal with. So now you might have a situation where, okay, uh, maybe the Big Ten's not going to play non-conference games, but the SEC does. Um, Well, then how on earth do you distinguish who makes the playoff? Or, okay, let's say that everybody is not going to play non-conference games. Well the SEC and the Big Ten play eight conference games. The other three power conferences play nine. If you had a college football czar of some sorts, you could get everybody on the same page and say, look, we're playing ten conference games. You're playing a conference championship game, 
and we're going to expand the playoff for this year alone. And that's the other issue that comes up with this college football season. If we're going to eliminate non-conference games, how the hell are you going to put together a college football playoff? Um, you have five power conferences. Uh, you know, Then you factor in Notre Dame as well. And I guess Notre Dame's got a partnership with the ACC to make sure they get some games in one way or the other. But if you don't have non-conference games, having a measuring stick of some sorts, if you got five undefeated conference champions, how on earth do you pick out four of them to be in the playoff? This sounds like a nightmare. And if you hated the system as is, I think everybody, for the most part, the majority of folks wanted to see the playoff expand, at least to eight teams, right? And the system as is was already a mess. The fact that one Power 5 team was not going to make the playoff no matter what every year, and sometimes two Power 5 conference champions would miss the playoff with the SEC getting in two teams or Notre Dame getting in a team, whatever it may be. Um you, you go on and on. There was already issues as is. Now you fast forward to this year and you have this problem come up. If there is a season, oh my gosh, um, wow, this is going to be madness to try to figure out who is those four teams. And then I can't imagine justifying bowl games, probably just the playoff, just get those playoff games in if you can get there. Um so, yeah, this playoff would just be – it's going to be a mess to figure out if things are what they appear to be looking to be. If we have a season and no one plays non-conference games, oh, my gosh, this could be just a nightmare to figure out. And, and then, you know, one of the thoughts of mind from the folks out there is that, wait, 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 so you're telling me that a team like Iowa State can travel 800 miles to play West Virginia on an airplane, might I add you, but they can't go you know, two, three hours within their state to play their arch rival Iowa? Yes. Yes. That would be the case. I know on the surface level it doesn't really make sense, but when you don't have a college football czar of some sorts, then maybe the Big Ten and the Big 12 have a different set of rules when it comes to COVID testing or players when they can practice or be available and such. There's no uniformity there, so you're not on the same page. And that's a problem of sorts, of not having everybody on the same page. There's a law of unattended consequences that we are creating for ourselves here uh, throughout this college football season as it's setting up right now. And, and then you add to all this the idea of possibly a spring season if this all gets pushed back. Um, folks, we are currently in the first wave of COVID-19. And I got to tell you, I've been one of these people that has been very optimistic of, hey, let's get people back to work. Let's wear our mask, as they've told us to. Um, you know, the medical science is behind that and everything. Um, let's do those precautions. But let's let people live their lives of some sorts. I get that. Uh, you know, in this, this first wave, the numbers, 
you know, are, we're breaking records every single day when it comes to COVID. Um, but with that being said, this is still the first wave. When we shut everything down for the NCAA tournament back in March, we were in the beginning of the first wave in the spring, and it was bad. It was bad then. So you're telling me this idea of playing football in the spring, that we're going to play in the spring in the midst of the beginning of the second wave and in the middle of flu season two. That sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like an awful idea. If this college football season is going to happen, if we're going to play college football this year, it's got to be in the fall. And maybe you start in October. Maybe you give more time for guys to, uh, you know, pass their COVID testing and more time for teams to get some practices in and such. But you can't play in the spring. There's no way. There's no way that's going to happen. And on top of that, you got the NFL draft in April. If you're a top prospect, once your team has had a national title contention, after two games, or maybe you've suffered a minor injury of some sorts, you're not going to play. You're going to sit out. You're going to wait for the draft to occur. And you're probably going to leave campus before the semester even ends to go join your team. That's the reality of it there. Um, On top of that, these rookies would then all of a sudden just played in the spring, and now in the fall they're going to play in the NFL? I don't think so. A spring season, and I, and get, don't get me wrong, I loved the XFL this past year. It was great to have spring football, but college football won't work in the spring. That's not going to happen. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, wait, how can college football not happen this year or be altered and go through all these changes, but the NFL looks pretty stable. They look like they're fine. Well, the reason why that is is because you're talking about professional athletes. You're talking about billionaire owners that will find a way one way or another. Where there isn't a way, there is a way. If they have to go to a bubble thing, they will. If they have to quarantine these players and have like a camp of some sorts, that they stay at and only travel to the team facility, kind of like training camp, they'll do that. They will find a way to make this NFL season work. They have the initiative to do that. They have the power to pull it off one way or the other. College football doesn't have those same resources. And you're dealing with you know government and bureaucrats and board of regents and all that. You're not paying the players. Um, you got parents to deal with, you know, putting their kid at risk and all that. The NFL, these are grown men. They can make decisions for themselves. Um, it's a whole different story. The NFL can make it work and uh, not suffer the consequences that college football would suffer. So that's why that is. Now, as far as, like, the University of Kansas goes, um, right now, KU is slated to, f- to face Boston College in Lawrence. And if you recall, KU won that game last year in BC. It was their first Power 5 road win since 09. 
unbelievable what they did that night to pull off that victory. Now it's the return trip for BC. I'm sure they're anxious and they would love to get revenge on KU. But here's a nightmare situation for teams like Kansas um, who are just desperate for wins just to get in the win column that would love to get bowl eligible or something like that. If if we're playing a season that only includes conference games, where do the wins come from? Right? I mean, oh my gosh. That all of a sudden becomes a big problem. Those those non-conference gimme games, you know, against the red-headed sisters of the poor off the schedule. Those easy wins to stack up for bowl eligibility all of a sudden gone. You're not playing New Hampshire. Out of the FCS, that's one win gone. Um, you know, Coastal Carolina, they lost to last year, but you probably had a good, pretty good chance of winning that game. That's off the board now, too. So then you look at, well, what's the best-case scenario for Kansas? Um, a season with just conference games. As far as for the future of this program, when it comes to recruiting and the reputation for KU, is probably the worst-case scenario going forward beyond this season of suffering a a one- or two-win season. That'd be awful. It'd be terrible for recruiting. Les Miles looks like he's got a pretty good recruiting class coming in for 2021. Um, You know, they they just uh, got a commitment from a four-star receiver just over this past week. So, with that being said... A conference season would be really bad for KU. Other schools, like Clemson, before you thought you could pencil them in the playoff, if they're playing just a conference schedule, you can Sharpie in Clemson to the playoff. Um, You know, that's where some other schools, Oklahoma, uh, yeah, go ahead and put the Sharpie in if they're going to make the playoff at that point. Yeah. because of how much they've owned this conference. The teams that have had the control. Now, not Alabama's, you know, as of late, but Alabama a couple of years ago, you'd say, well, yeah, they're going to win the SECs. They're going to make the playoff. In their case, they might like the conference-only schedule. But if you're a team that's KU trying to build a program that's desperate for wins, this is bad news bears, folks. This is not an ideal situation. It is um, – it, it pains me to say, but it's true – that it would be better for this Kansas football program not to have a season at all than to play a season with just conference games. That's the reality. That's where this Kansas football program is right now when it comes to the future. Now, obviously, you would like to have the games for the TV money and the revenue and all that stuff. Yes, yes, you would when it comes to revenue-wise. But as far as building for the future and the reputation of this university – Yeah, that's where KU is at right now. So that's kind of the reality we face here in this college football world. A long ways to go, a long ways to figure out. I hope we have a season of some sorts, but I am terribly nervous at this point in time um, about where we're at going forward. We'll talk more to Chris Plank about uh, the hopes of a college football season. Going to also uh, ask him about Patrick Mahomes' extension. Going to talk a little racing as well. Coming up later on the show, Jason Whitlock joined me on KLWN in Lawrence, and 
He brought some fire. Uh, I want to go back over that interview and uh, go over some of the highlights of that. Also got your Tom Fullery story of the week as well coming up before the end of the show. Chris Blank joins us next here on the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week from Fox Sports Radio. You can hear him each and every Sunday night with Arnie Spanier on KLWN. Also the Sirius XM Big 12 channel and the Sooner Sports Network and KREF in Norman and Oklahoma City. It is Chris Plank who is back with us on the program once again. Plank, appreciate the time as always. What's going on, man? Tyler, I appreciate you having me on. I think we're both uh, back from vacations and hoping to get some pretty good news here, soon, hopefully, on the future of college football. Hopefully so. Uh, we'll dive into that for sure uh, in uh, this conversation today. But, uh, Plank, first and foremost, man, uh, as, as noted, you have so many jobs and so busy. I would imagine that uh, in this COVID outbreak, even though there wasn't much sports that's been going on, uh, I, I bet you've stayed pretty busy yourself, it seems. Yeah, it's kind of weird because, you know, I'll – on the Sooner Radio Network, and this, I guess, will be my first attempt at about 50 plugs, Tyler, so I apologize. But on the Sooner Radio Network, we've taken to our podcast platform, which if you're a Sooner fan, you can find at Soonersports.com slash podcast. And we're doing our regular shows that we do like yours. Um, and, and then we've added classic games this year. And it's been a labor of love in putting those together. So Tuesday nights... I'll, we'll get a couple of games and you, you, you chop them down from the. You take a seven-hour broadcast and you get it down to about two and a half, three hours without the pre and post-game show and the halftime conversations. But that's been fun. And, and you know what? I, I know that you're very much into the craft, and I'm, I'm I'm into the craft as well too. It's been a really good practice for me as a sideline reporter and as a play-by-play guy to listen back, listen for crutches, listen for ways that you can do it better, but also remembering moments that you completely forget about. Uh, for instance, you know, we have the, the Kyler Murray game against Oklahoma State when Taylor Cornelius went nuts and threw for 500 yards. That's on this week's edition. And I completely forgot about the play where Neville Gallimore forced the fumble and it looked like Chuba Hubbard broke his leg and he's in on the next play. So it was, it was a fascinating – it's been a fascinating time. And, yeah, you're right, you know – you never know when something can happen with the regular lineup at Fox Sports Radio, so you just make sure that you're ready to go. And when you're on Monday through Friday, you like to stay educated. You know, you don't want to spend every day going, oh, sports isn't around. I'm so sad. When's it going to come back? You try to create new things. So I, I, I've enjoyed this. You know, I've learned a lot about kind of things I need to improve on. I've, I've learned a lot, a lot about what people want to hear, and I've learned that everything in the world is political. So I just kind of try to steer clear of that, and I'm having a good time. Ain't that the truth? Oh my gosh! Uh, so ready to just get back to a normal life of some sorts. Uh, if we could just put politics aside and have sports again, that'd be great. But uh, absolutely. With that being said, Plank, uh, let's start out with uh, right here in Kansas City. We'll get to the Big Twelve and and uh, that side of things here. But our big news here, of course, is. Patrick Mahomes and his contract extension, the largest in American sports history. As a Raider fan like yourself, uh, how's this feel knowing uh, you're going to have to deal with Patrick Mahomes for at least the next 12 years? Not good. Not good. <laughs> um, but here's, here's what, I, what I dig about it. I think Patrick Mahomes is one of the most likable people on the planet, and I, and I can even go back to having the privilege of covering him whenever he was at Tech and you know, being on the sidelines for what was that the, the 15 or 16 game against Baker Mayfield when they went back and forth. He's just a joy to cover. And I see something 
like this, and it just it, it it warms your heart. And I know some people always want to complain about the amount of money, but my my gosh, man, he's earned it. If Kansas City would have balked and said, "Yeah, we're not we're not doing that," thirty one other teams, regardless of their quarterback situation, would have been lining up at his door to basically give him, "Hey, we'll name the stadium after you," whatever he wanted. So Kansas City was smart. Brett Veach was smart, obviously, in this process. He was the guy that. You know, bang the table for the Chiefs to go get him. Andy Reid loves him, and now suddenly Andy Reid's career is rejuvenated. I love everything about it. Here's what I don't like. I don't like whenever – there's things that can be just overall good, period. You don't always have to find a problem, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves in kind of, you know, watching this process play out on social media. You have people like Pro Football Talk who goes, well, he should have waited. No. Why? So you can write a column next year about, well, it seems odd that they've waited. Uh, or, or, or so, you know, in two years when it's a franchise tag situation, so you can have some sort of drama to build from it. Tyler, you know this. You cover it. You see it. Patrick Mahomes loves Kansas City. Right. Kansas City loves Patrick Mahomes. It's one of the greatest fits in the history of sports. Why does it matter if he could have got a couple uh, 10 to 15 extra mil? He's, he signed the richest contract in sports. I mean, this pains me as a Raider fan to have to stand up and defend him. But he deserves it. And, and there's, not, there's no fault here. And think about this. If you want to look at, what is it, 2024, 2025, when he's got, what, 60 mil is the cap hit? I'm willing to bet by the time we get there, there's going to be a renegotiation. At some point, this dude gets that he needs his teammates. He gets that they need a roster, and he's going to be worth so much more off the field over the next few years. So I don't mean to go off on a rant or anything, but I love the guy. I hate people that take shots at this deal because I just think it's fantastic. And I'm just, I'm, you know, most of my friends are Chief fans. Uh, I've had to deal with it a majority of my life, but man, this guy is just, this guy is just fun to watch, and there's really no other way around it. There's two things in particular I like about this, Plank. One, the fact that he's still going to finish out the final two years of his rookie contract at a much cheaper price than what he's about to make. But even then, I mean, you're talking about the best quarterback in football that's going to be a star for a long time here. Halfway through that deal, he's going to look like, when we're talking about the new TV contracts and everything that gets in place, he's going to look considerably underpaid to what the rest of the market will be at that point. If, if he plays out the majority of this deal, uh, although it looks like a lot right now, this could actually turn into a pretty team-friendly situation here. I mean, again, I'll, I always turn this back to the Raiders, right? But look when Derek Carr signed his contract after his MVP-ish season in 2016, the Raiders inked Derek Carr to a long-term deal. And it was the richest contract for a quarterback at the time. Fast forward just four years later, and listen, Carr hasn't been able to match that 2016 uh, production, but you know, I, I, I did uh, game day with Bobby Carpenter this year on ESPNU. And as we would always say, you can do a lot worse than Derek Carr as your starting quarterback. And, you know, now you look at it, fast forwarding, fast forwarding four years later, that was the richest contract in the NFL uh, ever for a quarterback, and now it's a bargain. So <laughs> I don't know if 500 mil will ever be a bargain, but it's a really good point, especially when, when we just – we don't know where the TV money – we don't know – what the salary cap's going to look like. We don't know what COVID-19's effect's going to be on the NFL, but I'll guarantee you this, they're still going to be making a lot of money. So I love the deal all the way around, Tyler. It's, uh, 
it's it, it's a team friendly deal despite all the numbers that's been thrown out there too. Yeah, just crazy to think that's the case, but uh, sure enough, it is. With uh, this Chiefs team coming back next year, twenty of twenty two starters. Uh, we know what this off season's been like without the OTAs that we're normally accustomed to seeing in the mini camps and such. It seems like the Chiefs are in great position. Uh, for the next few years uh, beyond this year with their yeah. quarterback locked up and, and a lot of their young talent. The only question remaining right now uh, as far as their future goes is what to do about Chris Jones. Yeah, and, you know, if, if they don't get Chris Jones, I mean, that's, that's or get, make him happy, get him a deal that he wants, that's problematic because that dude changed the whole complex, uh, the whole direction of the Super Bowl. But also in that same thing, you've got to take care of your quarterback first. And to me, they're taking care of Chris Jones by, by trying to franchise tag him. I know he's mad. I know he wants to get a longer-term deal. But if they find a way to keep him happy, if they find a way to keep him around next year, where's the holes in this team? You know, where, <laughs> where's the hole? They upgraded their secondary. Steve Spagnuolo proved to be a really nice fit, a defensive coordinator. And you're not going to outscore him. So, it, it, I mean, barring an injury to Patrick Mahomes, which, by the way, when Patrick Mahomes was injured, they went and they got a substitute teacher that won a game for him. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I say this as not necessarily, I love, I love greatness, okay? Don't, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm in my office, and I've got a big Raiders helmet in here. So, my love is Oakland Raiders slash Las Vegas Raider football. But I also love watching greatness. And if you can't enjoy watching Patrick Mahomes play football, then, man, I don't know what to do because he's an absolute blast. And, 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 in building this team – uh, a franchise that had been on a roller coaster that had, you know, been first round, our number one pick overall, playoff losing in the first round, high draft pick, you know, riding that roller coaster. They're the elite. <laughs> they're, they're the standard bear now in the AFC. And I'm telling you what, if Mahomes stays healthy, they're not going anywhere for a long time. It's going to be fun to see. And uh, as we're wrapping up here on the NFL talk, uh, Plank, i got to say, speaking of your Raiders and everything, when we get back to normal and get back to traveling for games and everything, I can't wait to get to Las Vegas to go see Allegiant Stadium and go see the Chiefs play out there. That's going to be a great annual trip of sorts. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I think it's been really hard, not to go off on a Raider tangent on you here, Tyler, but it's been really hard. Because you felt in 2016 that coming off that season with Reggie McKenzie as their general manager and Jack Del Rio as their coach, you felt this team was on the verge of something, that they were building something. I saw, I saw Reggie McKenzie at the OU Tennessee game, that crazy comeback that took place in 2015. And I can remember saying, hey, man, uh, I'm a Raider fan, love everything. He goes, great things are coming, great things are coming. And I believed him, and he was right. You know, they went 12-4. and four. In 2016, but Derek Carr breaks his leg. Come to find out, maybe the roster is a little bit more brittle than we thought. And John Gruden and Mike Mayock come in, and for the gosh, second time in almost four years, they go through a complete roster overhaul. But I do think they're in a position to where they're going to be, they're going to be better next season. They were better last year, um, <laughs> but they're going to be better this season. I think that's going to be a fun rivalry. I don't know, I don't know if Henry Ruggs is Tyree Kill, and I'm sure. It's, I'm sure that my man Derek Carr isn't Patrick Mahomes, but it's going to be really fun to see what the fan base is like in Allegiant Stadium. Uh, if it is a place that struggles with opposing teams taking over, if the Raiders struggle, um, but I just I really think they're in a spot to where they can. I don't know if they've got anything for the Chiefs this year, 
But I think they've got a they've got a really good chance to be battling for that wild card in the AFC. They were there down to the last week last season battling for the wild card. So it's going to be a fun place to watch games when we get back to capacity and. You know, at least for my sanity, Tyler, I feel like they put together a pretty good roster. Yeah, I think so. I think they're doing a good job. Mike Mayock, I thought, was a terrific hire as GM, and he's uh, looking to be that way throughout two years there in uh, Vegas at this point in time. The college sports scene, it seemed like even a few weeks ago, time was on our side of sorts that, hey, you know, it's, it's too early to start making predictions and such. Now it seems like once these players came back to uh, voluntary workouts and with schools like KU and K-State and some of these others shutting down, all of a sudden that time that was uh, in our that, that looked good uh, seems long behind us now. It seems like that the clock is ticking on trying to figure this out to, to get the season started on time. Time is not on our side anymore. And, you know, I, my, my hope, and I know that this is, there's some people, if you're listening to this, you're probably a diehard sports fan. So when I say my ultimate goal was to do things when it comes to you know, wearing a mask, social distancing, I'm in the business of doing things to make sure that we get college football and pro football. With that said, man, I really thought we were in good shape a month ago. And with these numbers over the last few weeks, Tyler, it is very concerning. And part of it, part of it, well, a majority of it, you're counting on 18 to 23-year-old men, let's just go with football here, young men, to go against everything that's been in their personality uh, in the, 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 the eternity of student-athletes. Hey, keep your social circle small. You know, don't, uh, don't go out to bars. Try not to go out to restaurants. Socially did. Wear a mask. You know, all these things are it's hard whenever you constantly hear about how this isn't that dangerous to young people. And then you see the shots from the Lake of the Ozarks or the 4th of July party. So, I mean, we, if I don't think we're going to see a season as it's scheduled. So in other words, I don't think Oklahoma is going to play army in New York in front of fans, but I think there's still a chance they could play it. I don't think Ohio state's going out to Oregon to play the ducks. I think that, if they don't reschedule that, they'll find a way to play it somewhere else, if at all. I think you're going to see schedules become much more regional. But I, as much as I kind of mocked everyone losing their mind over the, the Ivy League, keep in mind the Ivy Leagues were the first league to shut down you know, 24 to 48 hours before Rudy Gobert's positive test. So I see that, you know, as you and I were talking today, was the Ivy League report that they're, they're canceling fall sports and moving it all to the spring. But I just – there's not as much at stake for the Ivy League as there is for the Power Five conferences, and I do think they're going to find a way to be able to get this done in some way, shape, or form. I don't think we're going to see a 12-game season. I hope we see a 10-game season, and I think we're going to be challenged more than ever to find ways to creatively generate revenue whenever capacities are at you know 50 to you know hopefully 75 percent. But man, we gotta we've got to find a way to level out these numbers, Tyler. We have got to find a way. And I know I'm a big person that looks at hospitalizations um, and, and obviously deaths are down, but just the overall numbers are concerning. And this is what presidents are looking at. This is what athletic directors are looking at. And you know, we've got to find a way to level off these numbers so we can make sure that 
we'll be able to have a football season uninterrupted. Well, and the idea of playing football in the spring, I don't know what, what you think, Plank. I think the idea uh, sounds really bad. I mean, you talk about yeah. <laughs> dealing with flu season at the same time, the NFL draft being in April here. If they can't get the majority of this season done in the fall, I don't see how they can get this thing at all. That, that second wave is, is still coming uh, at some point here as well. And when did everything get really bad before? In the spring. So, and I understand the hope is, well, by the time you, you get to January or February, you'll have a, you'll have a vaccine. But I'm a, I'm a big diamond sports guy. You know, my, one of my main roles is as the play-by-play guy for Oklahoma softball and filling in on baseball. What does that do to their seasons? And, and trust me, every single coach, I think, across college sports gets it. You need football. And you need it to happen. How about, how about this idea? I think there's a really good chance that the college football season is October through December. And I understand, I, you know, everyone that says, oh, you got to move to the spring. I, I just, I think, and I get it from a scheduling perspective, it makes it hard in some areas where uh, maybe, say, for, I don't know, like a temple or an army where you got to play at Lincoln, Lincoln Field, but you, you can find a way around it. I just think, Tyler, that. They're going to need more time to get ready. They're going to need a little bit more time to find out exactly how this is going to work, if there's students on campus, what the perception is. So I, I really, truly believe we're going to get a season in the fall. Now, I don't know if that means starting on time. In my opinion, I think it means maybe starting, if not mid-September, maybe October. Uh, October, excuse me. But I just, man, the spring, and you hit it with the draft. I mean, if you're, if you're, ty- if, if you're Trevor Lawrence, if you're Justin Fields, you know, that's, that's a big risk if the NFL doesn't move back its draft. So I'm just, I'm really, I, we need to find something out, right? I mean, I, I can't have Philip Fulmer going to, to alumni functions and saying, don't you guys worry, we're going to have 100,000 fans there. That's not reality. You know, we've got, and I appreciate so much what Oklahoma has done, where they've been an open book, and they've told you, and, and everyone across the Big 12 has been. But I just, at some point, we need to start getting some solid answers besides, hey, man, we're planning as if the season's going to happen as usual. And we're going to – okay, well, the, 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 the Texas State Fair isn't happening. So are we planning on OU Texas in the Cotton Bowl? Both Joe Castiglione and Chris Del Conte said they do, but they didn't say when. They didn't say what date. So I don't know, Tyler. I feel like we're, that, that clock is ticking, and you hit it on the head with your first point. You know, we felt like we had a lot of time. Now, man, we are running out of time. Oh, man, I'm nervous. Uh, I want to see this season work out some way, shape, or form, but uh, it's looking less and less likely by the day as we lose more time on this. Uh, somebody needs I to agree. get it figured out and, and uh, see where we can go from there. For the Big 12, it seemed like entering this season, Plank, that everything looked like it could be this uh, very good year for the league. An Oklahoma team that is stacked as always. Oklahoma State looks good on paper. Texas should be better than they were a year ago. Right. Iowa State as well. Uh, across the board, uh, this is shaping out to be, if we play a season, uh, a pretty competitive Big 12 conference. Uh, uh, some more depth than maybe what we've seen in the last couple of years. Absolutely. I mean, this is going to be a, this is going to be a season where, I mean, I, Oklahoma's breaking in a new quarterback. If it's Tanner Mordecai or more likely Spencer Rattler, they've also lost their biggest playmaker on offense in not just Jalen Hurts, but CeeDee Lamb. And they lost a first-round pick and linebacker who had been their starting Mike linebacker from day one when he stepped on campus. That's, that's hard to replace. 
you had, you know, you've got three really good quarterbacks. Man, I guess that list could go down to four or five if we want. But I mean, look at look at what what, what Sam Ellinger has done. Now, granted, it it took a step back last year, but this is now what year four of of what Tom Herman has built, and they've been able to bring in some really good recruiting classes. They've been able to develop guys. I think Texas is going to be good. I, I think Brock Purdy is the best NFL talent right now in this league at quarterback. And, mm-hmm. you know, Matt Campbell, again, a team that we had high hopes for last year. They took a little bit of a backslide. Um, is Skylar Thompson back for his 86th year of eligibility at Kansas State? So, I mean, you you look at what Daigie did last year at West Virginia. I love what Spencer Sanders did. I know I'm just talking about the quarterbacks. Um, and then, of course, the third that I would have mentioned in that group of, of um, oh, gosh, why did I just blank on El- Ellinger and then – uh, still got and Charlie Iowa Brewer State. at Baylor, too. And there's the third, Charlie Brewer at Baylor. I think that, you know, in Purdy and in Ellinger and in Charlie Brewer at Baylor, those are three guys that have a chance to be playing on Sundays. Yeah. So th- this this is going to be – I know I'm focusing on the quarterbacks, but this is going to be a good year. And look at what Dave Aranda um, has done historically with defenses and what – you know, they were able to do last year at Baylor on defense. And I know they've got to replace a lot of guys with Lynch and Clay Johnson gone, but it's um, and, and listen, I'm not trying to ignore your Kansas Jayhawks fighting stretch of the imagination, <laughs> Tyler. Uh, they're, they're, they, they got the best running back maybe in the league in Puka. He gets five votes for preseason. But this is a fascinating year, man. I, I, I know that there's going to be talks of, hey, you know, fans being there, how does that affect it? You know, how do you um, react in certain instances without – you know, a full week of preparation or however that might look like. You have to quarantine. All those questions aside, man, if you just take it at a true preview kind of a glance, this, this has the, the, the makings of an incredible year in the Big 12. I just hope we get a chance to see it play out. Yeah, I hope so, too. I hope there's two teams that could possibly contend for the playoff uh, at least. I agree. Uh, it's been a while, probably since that uh, that Baylor-TCU year, the first year of the playoff that we've talked about, uh, more than one team that was a realistic playoff contender. Uh, not too far from you there in Stillwater. Uh, we know that it's been a crazy uh, you know, month-plus there of what, what's been going on. Are things starting to finally settle down a little bit? Do you think Oklahoma State – and Mike Gundy can move on what from what's occurred uh, over there with, with his players and uh, all that happened within the last couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, I think I think Mike Holder and, and uh, Chad Weiberg has done a really nice job with this. And it's interesting because you almost, you almost get the sense with the docking of a year on Mike Gundy's contract, Oklahoma State pretty much said, all right, and, and I look at it this way with Holder too. I think that I think they looked at it and they realized you're not doing a good job in player relations, former players relations. Maybe there's a certain part of you that it's either, you know, you're too dialed in on game planning or you're, you're, you've been doing this for a while. You've made your money. Um, you're just, you're off doing your own thing, whatever way you want to describe it. Let's, let's make a plan. You got four, we're going to dock a year. You'll take a million off. I think that was Mike Gundy's idea. And then in four years, we'll go our separate ways. And if in that point Mike Gundy wants to go do something else, great. If he wants to retire to his ranch in Stillwater, great. And then I think also at that point, I think you might see a Mike Holder retire as well. But Holder will work with Chad Weiberg, and his last move will be to try to hire the next head coach at Oklahoma State. Now, that's, that's my opinion. That sports talk guy right here throwing something off the wall and see if it sticks a little bit. But, Tyler, 
with the job that Mike Holder and, and the future AD at Oklahoma State, Chad Weiberg, did, they did an incredible job of researching this, listening to former players, and kind of that IDC, that I don't care attitude that Mike Gundy has appeared to have over the last couple of years, I, I think maybe it lit a fire underneath him. I really do. And I, I've told this story a lot. You know, when I started in Tulsa on, on 1430, we had the Oklahoma State rights. And we would, we would carry the Oklahoma State games. And Mike Gundy was great. He would come on. Um, he was personable. He was just – he was a fun guy to be around. And then suddenly, you know, you had the Bobby Reed saga, and it all flipped. And he wasn't fun anymore. And he kind of shut down. And they shut down a lot of media access. And Mike doesn't do a lot of media now uh, anymore. And it's, it's very few and far between. But I got to tell you, Tyler, I think this was a nice eye-opener for him. I think that – it has calmed down a little bit. I think he realizes, and maybe if it's delegation, maybe if it's telling his um, director of operations, Mac Butler, hey, you know, you got to be my guy on this. Go, go help me out whenever it comes to making sure that we send a card here or we send a gear to uh, this guy or we make sure that, so, you know, just whatever it is to realize that that's a place where you've struggled. So has it simmered down? Absolutely. Do they have the chance to be really good this season? You bet. Is that ESPN Plus behind the scenes on the Oklahoma State football program uh, going to be must-watch TV? Huh. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's simmered down, but I do think the end now is in sight for Oklahoma State. Um, barring Mike Gundy going out and winning a, a couple Big 12 championships or a national championship, I think he's coaching his last four years in Stillwater. It amazes me, Plank, that your guy Lincoln Riley, who's only been there as head coach just a few years still, right. um, handled his situation so much differently and so much better than Mike Gundy did, who had a, you know, a 12 year head start on him as a head coach. It's so impressive to me, just the job that Lincoln has done, not only the wins and loss record, but the fact that his players, uh, you know, just gravitate toward him, that he was able to uh, support them and, and be there by their side throughout this. To me, it, it spoke a lot about Lincoln Riley and, and just how close he is with his players, that it's beyond just the, the X's and O's uh, there in Norman. I think the one thing that I've learned about Lincoln Riley, and I feel like we say this, I mean, listen, I'm, I always felt this about you when I would listen to your podcast, that you were wise beyond your years, that you kind of had a – a handle and an understanding of things beyond being if you were, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, whatever it was. I feel like when I watch Lincoln Riley uh, handle media situations, when I watch Lincoln Riley handle fan engagement situations, um, alumni, and, and thankfully I get a chance to be a part of a lot of those um, situations, when I see him handle his team, I just feel like he's wise beyond his years. I feel like I'm watching a guy that's been a head coach for, you know, a decade. And, you know, it's, it's absolutely, to me, um, it, it's just fun to watch. And he's going to get better. You know, Lincoln has his quirks. Lincoln has his strengths. And I think he didn't even tell you he has his weaknesses. But I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't seen his weaknesses yet, man. I, I really haven't. And it, he's one of the most impressive guys that I've been around from top to bottom. And it you know, I'm, I'm not a very organized guy. I never have been in my life. But watching him, it challenges me to be more organized in what I do. It challenges me to be a better listener. And then when you have a plan, hey, let's stick to that plan. This is what we're going to do. Let's not deviate from it just because we get worried about a couple of bumps here. Let's stand behind our players. Let's stand behind our plan. And, yeah, Tyler, I can't, I can't brag enough about Lincoln Riley and the job that he's done. And he just – 
He continues to get better. He continues to surround himself with really smart, bright, energetic people. You know, I, I will say I didn't know much about Benny Wiley whenever he came in as their strength and conditioning guy, but Benny Wiley might go down as one of the greatest hires that Oklahoma has to replace a, a, a generational strength coach and Jerry Schmidt who won a national championship. You bring in this guy that's full of energy and faith and understanding and it's just, it's been, and then you add the coaches that he's brought with them. I mean, my gosh, Roy Manning and Brian Odom and watching this defense get remade under the watchful eye of Alex Grinch. It's just, it's a fascinating thing to see uh, just how smooth and how steady he is in everything that he does. No doubt. I, I appreciate the kind words. I'll take a, a comparison to Lincoln Riley any day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the one weakness that comes to mind maybe was was the defense early on, but that Alex Grinch hire was a home run. I mean, even then, um, he found a way to, to fix it, and I'm sure they're going to take even more steps forward with that defense uh, this upcoming year and the years to come with what they're doing there in Norman. So, yeah, Lincoln Riley, uh, a star uh, with the best yet to come uh, there in Norman for sure. Uh, I want to ask you real quick uh, about some NASCAR, Plank. Uh, the last Do it. couple months have been unprecedented. We've never seen anything like what we've seen uh, these midweek races. Uh, you had the Kyle Larson situation now to Bubba Wallace and, and what's evolved here. I mean, it, it's been a wild uh, stretch that NASCAR's had, had to deal with uh, from the on-track product to uh, the off-track stuff. How, how do you feel NASCAR's dealt with uh, these last uh, few months and these circumstances that have been handed to them? You know, Tyler, I've, I've kind of lost my week-to-week following of NASCAR the last, you know, five years. I was, um, I was a diehard Dale Jr., Tony Stewart, and Elliot Sadler fan. And I would, you know, I'd be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday guy. But, you know, Smoke retires, Jr. retires, Elliot retires, and I didn't really have a guy outside of Christopher Bell that I was really following. Fast forward to this season, man, I started the year all in. I mean, all in, and I just, it was almost as if that passion that had been disconnected was, was, was sparked again, you know, from the craziness of the Daytona 500 and then following the Ryan Newman saga to, um, you mentioned the, I mean, I got a chance to know Kyle Larson and I just, I, I was blown away by what had happened and to, and to hear him say that and to see him uh, lose his ride. It's just, it was a, a myriad of just missteps. But then suddenly you get this break unfortunate break with COVID-19 and when you come back you know you deal with the Bubba Wallace controversy not with Bubba himself but just the Confederate flag then kind of the misreporting of the news but still everyone's saying no we this this is good because we've got his back I'm gonna tell you what it's number one number one back on my depth chart now you know I'm counting down to if it was uh, I love the what was it the Monday night race or the Wednesday night race that they did at Martinsville under the lights we never raced under the lights before at Martinsville. You know, I, I usually take a nap during the Pocono race. I'm watching it like it's the, the last lap on every single lap. I'm excited <laughs> to be going to Bristol. I might try to go next week down to Texas Motor Speedway to see what it's all about. You know, you've got good little duels going on between guys like Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch, and then you have um, Denny Hamlin getting mad at guys, and Kevin Harvick's running so well. So I, I, I got to be a Steve Phelps, their general, I guess general manager, president, whatever term they use. I got to tell you something. I am so impressed with what he has done. Um, I'm not a big believer that go woke, go broke. I just think they're doing things smart, and they're taking this sport to another level. Where NASCAR, I mean, you were a, a, a little one when this probably happened, but to me, where NASCAR made its biggest mistake 
was, uh, you know, we lost Dale in 2000, 2001. And the sport really took off from there because people, I think, fell in love with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Then they realized, holy smokes, NASCAR is awesome. And Fox did an incredible job presenting it. Well, NASCAR, I think, made a big mistake because they went away from their heritage. They went away from Rockingham. They went away from the short tracks. And they started going more towards these um, super speedways where they had more suites and they had more sponsorship availabilities. Mm -hmm. And the problem was it wasn't good racing. Right. And now I feel like we're getting back to a point where these young guns, they have something to prove. And then you have now guys that are suddenly the old Martin Truex Jr. is like the old guard now. <laughs> uh, and, and he and Kyle Busch saying, no, 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 Kevin Harvick, we're not, we're not bowing down to you yet, Chase Elliott. We're not bowing down to you guys yet, Christopher Bell. So i got to be honest with you. I mean, I've even thought about shooting you messages about how fun it's been to watch it because a, a spark that's always there. Right? I love this sport, yeah. but it wasn't must-see to me now, and part of that is there's not a lot going on. It's must-see TV to me. So I've loved the plan. I love how they've handled the PR. I, I've loved every second of watching these races, and I'm ready to see these boys go out of it at Bristol. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, that all-star <laughs> race there at Bristol, uh, you know, moving that around. Now we got the Daytona road course involved, some different things here. That? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's the fact that they've made some drastic changes in this COVID situation. It, it makes me think that when we get next year's schedule with all these track contracts ending, Plank, I, I think that we're going to see, if you thought this schedule was crazy, next year is probably going to look completely different Thank than what we've too. ever known, maybe. Yeah, and, and I, as much, there's some things that I think are traditions that need to continue. I think the 4th of July, I, I think that weekend we need to be in Daytona. That was weird for me to not see that. Uh, what is it? Is it is it Labor Day where they have the, the Darlington race? I'm, my, yeah, my, my mind yeah Southern 500. Yeah, thank you. And then, you know, I think the I, I think the All-Star race needs to be in Charlotte, but I get this year. And I'll also add, I, I think we need to have Bristol as one of those final races heading down the home stretch. But you know what? Regard, outside of that, let's go crazy, man. Let's get weird. And I like what they've done this year. I'm, I'm excited. We're going to try to go to Texas next weekend. We're going to see if we, uh, if it from, I, I, they're selling tickets. I know, I know cases have spiked. I'm going to go down for the, the, um, I keep wanting to say Bush series. Why do I keep wanting to do that? Xfinity. I'm going to go down for the Saturday. <laughs> I'm going to go down for the Xfinity races. I mean, I, it, I'm just, I'm pumped about it, Tyler. And I've really, as someone who had maybe lost their way as a fan, I'm back all in. Now, I can't say the same about UFC, but I absolutely can say the same about NASCAR, and I've just loved everything that they've done. Oh, yeah. I'm with you 100%. And, uh, you know, I hated not seeing Jimmy Johnson race at the Brickyard uh, one yeah. last time on Sunday, but great news uh, coming out today that uh, he's been cleared to race in Kentucky this uh, upcoming week. His final season and such, that 48 car has run pretty good. Seems like they're going to get back to victory lane sooner rather than later here. Yeah, and I, you know, I'll tell you what, I think if he, because he'd run well at Pocono, um, I think if he was in that car this past weekend, I think they would have had a shot to win it. And man, you know what, you know what else has been great? It's just, and Tyler, you know this, because you've sat through so many races where you're just begging for a caution. It's like, please give me a caution. Huh. Uh, get this pack bunched up. This has been really good racing, and it's been fun to watch all through the field. Um, I'm just, I know that we've got probably some new templates that are coming. I know they've got, you know, what is it, a little bit more downforce they're trying to add. 
but I, I have just thoroughly enjoyed getting a chance to, to immerse myself in NASCAR, and I'll pump. I'm, I'm just loving every minute of this. It, it seems like, Plank, this season is about uh, Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick. Uh, those yeah. guys have won a lot of races over the years, but only combined for one championship. If that's the, the two at the end of the season, I, I would be happy either way. I'd love to see one of those guys uh, get a title, especially Denny for all the races he's won to not win a title yet. I, you know, and I didn't realize that Denny Hamlin had never won at the Brickyard, you know, and to, and to see him in control and to have the tire blow on him at the at what basically the uh, next to last laugh for him. I mean, he was he was pulling away, but hey, sign me up, you know, sign me up for that. Give me a little Harvick versus Hamlin. They've had a little uh, they've had a little history. You know, it's, it's funny. My kids my kids have been making fun of me because in my in my free time uh, when it exists, which is very rare, late at night. I don't find myself watching Netflix specials. I don't find myself watching uh, too many old documentaries, but I'm watching old football games, and I've been watching these compilations of great finishes, uh, great (laughs) rivalries, great payback on on YouTube for NASCAR. So I'm not just watching these races, Tyler. I've immersed myself in almost a trip down memory lane. In fact, right before you called me, Right before you called me, I was watching that great pit road fight between Brad Keselowski and Jeff Gordon whenever <laughs> Kevin Harvick snuck around behind and pushed Keselowski back into it. So I'm fired up, man. And if that's going to be the case with maybe a Chase Elliott making a run, um, Ryan Blaney's run well here or there. And don't get me wrong, man, my man Christopher Bell is coming. He's starting to get things together. This is going to be this is going to be a fun rest of the season. Uh, and the future is incredibly bright for this sport. There, there's about five guys I probably like more than others, but I, I think I've become, and I didn't really have a favorite since Gordon retired, I think I've become a Ryan yeah. Blaney fan. Uh, I, I mean, me too. Th- that guy, me he's too. got and the right mesh of old school and new school to him. He, he's fun to watch every week. He, he is, and I, and I know you're at a lot of the races, Tyler, but I am. I'm a huge Fox broadcast guy, and and I love Daryl Waltrip, and I and, and him retiring was perfect. And I think Jeff Gordon has stepped up. I learned so much about what mm-hmm. Larry McReynolds in that role. But I'm here to tell you right now, Dale Jr. on NBC is is made that must listen yes. racing for me. I have so I, I've usually been a Fox guy, and when he gets to NBC, I'm watching with the sound down. Maybe try to sync it up with PRN or MRN. But, man, let me tell you something. What they've got going on with Junior in the booth, that's really good. And that, that adds to the racing, too. I think when you have two really good booths, you know, Mike Joy was put on this earth to call NASCAR races. <laughs> uh, and it's just it's fun. It's fun to me when you not only have a good product, but you have broadcasts that are committed to, to covering them the best they can. It's, it's been great to watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they can be different, but you can still enjoy them both. I feel like Thank you. with Fox, with Mike Joy, you're getting – you know NASCAR's Keith Jackson, and with right. with NBC, you're getting NASCAR's Gus Johnson with Rick Allen. I mean, they're both great. Yep. You know, and you, you can enjoy for both who they are. Uh, you, you're a junior. You, you being a junior guy, what was your reaction? I bet you were pretty excited when a uh, junior got announced in the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago. I was. I was. I know that. Here's the thing for me, and um, I, I've, I've kept it for 40 minutes, Tyler. So I'm glad this is a podcast <laughs> and not your. Not your radio segment, but let me say this about Junior. He probably didn't win enough to be considered a Hall of Famer. I mean, he never won a championship uh, in, the, in the Cup Series. But what he meant to this sport beyond just being Dale Earnhardt's son, I mean, Dale, Dale had, you know, Kerry ran and, and didn't have success. But 
Dale Jr.'s personality and what he meant to this sport and how he transcended just being, you know, a good old boy that can, uh, that can drive fast and, and find a way to, to make it to victory lane. Uh, that Budweiser car, man, that eight car, just iconic. So I'm, I'm of the opinion that because I know there's some that get mad like, oh, you didn't win enough races. He, he was more than that. He was more than a guy that went out and won races. And he transcended this sport, you know, being in music videos, being on, you know, uh, TV shows, being on talk shows. He was just a, a rock star and overcome what he overcame. I don't know. I was when his dad passed and they went back to Daytona. I was in Florida and I'll never forget. It was one of those Elliot Sadler was running well that night. So it was a big night for me, right? Elliot's running well. And I was with my family and they're all doing this. Like, Come on, we're going to go to the beach, watch fireworks. I'm like, no, no, I am watching this race. You guys can do, go do your thing. And it was just, it was so emotional. I got, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. He gave us so many moments that are hall of fame worthy. And if anyone has a problem with it, you know, I just, I, I don't, you don't like fun. You know, it was just, he was fun and he was, in my mind, a true Hall of Famer. And I can't wait to hear his speech. And, get, and you know what else? You know what else? How much has he done for concussion research? Yes. Right? How, how much has he done to, to let guys know, hey, it's, it's okay to say I'm not okay. And that was, that's never been the mindset of a NASCAR driver or maybe sports in general. You're not allowed to say when you're hurt, you got to gut through, you got to toughen it out. And by my goodness, man, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, he, he made it. He made it to where you got to be smart about your life. And I just, I thoroughly enjoyed watching him go from uh, punk driver to established superstar <laughs> to now, you know, the guy that's wearing the glasses and, and he's smart enough to know whenever he had to get to the booth to truly explaining to me the intricacies to to seeing his personality in his podcast and watching him with his. Dale Dale Jr. download on NBC. I mean, it's just I love the guy. He, he was he was my number one, number one. And I'm so glad that he's healthy and and that he's able to get this honor because he deserves it to me. Yeah, no question. Uh, my definition, Plank. And I don't know if you disagree with this or not, but I always look at with Hall of Fames. Can you tell the story of that sport? with or without an individual. And there's just no way in hell yeah. you can't tell the story of NASCAR without Dale Earnhardt Jr. I mean, he's, a, he's the centerpiece of the, the 2000s uh, of this yeah. Uh, century. So, yeah, well-deserved, and, and I'm glad to see him get that recognition. Before we let you go, Plank, where can uh, people see all the work you're doing and hear you? Of course, uh, we, we love having you and Artie on our station on uh, Sunday nights, of course. It's always fun. And, and uh, I, I was in the McDonald's drive through on the uh, 4th of July around midnight listening to you guys, by the way. Yeah, I was going to go crazy, man. He was driving me nuts. But, no, Arnie's the best. Uh, yeah, we get a chance to – do a little radio on Sunday nights from 10 P to one a, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful for those opportunities from Fox sports radio. I've been doing it for a minute now and uh, it's a blast. We have fun, you know, Monday through Friday, I do a nine to 11 show sports talk, 1400.com. If you like your sooner talk, uh, that's pretty much all we do. And you know, the, uh, the serious XM stuff has been interesting because it's just, you know, where, where do you go? What, what do we do? You know, so it's kind of been a challenge on that side, but I encourage it. If you're in Big 12 country, to consistently check out 375. We got a lot of great content on there for you. And, uh, as as the Sooner fans that are listening to Tyler Jones, please uh, subscribe to our podcast as well. It's a good little compliment to what Tyler does at SoonerSports.com/slash podcast. And 
man, I appreciate you having me on, dude. I love talking to you, and I uh, hope, uh, hope things are going well for you and your family. Doing fantastic. Uh, Plank, appreciate the time, man. Uh, and you work with great people, too. I mean, uh, I, I haven't had Gabe on yet. I need to get him on the air oh. one of these days. I mean, him and just, Holly and Arnie. I mean, you, you, yeah. you got the cast of characters. Just make sure when you get Gabe on, you got your delay on. If, if you've got that, you're good to go. <laughs> Sounds great. Plank, appreciate the time as always, my friend. We'll uh, talk to you down the road. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, Tyler, I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Big thanks to Chris Plank for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones back here with you now. Earlier this week on KLWN, got the chance to catch up with Jason Whitlock. And in case you're curious what uh, Whitlock's been up to, he recently left uh, Fox Sports where he was the co-host for Speak for Yourself on FS1 alongside Marcellus Wiley and uh, has now joined Clay Travis out at OutKick. And uh, OutKick's the site that uh, Clay Travis started as uh, OutKick the Coverage, and they've revamped that site, given Jason an ownership stake of sorts uh, there at OutKick. And their agenda, they want to be the most fearless sports site on the Internet. And, you know, let Jason and Clay, two guys that uh, are very different from what's popular, um, you know, they don't conspire to groupthink. You know, they think for themselves, um, really just do their own thing there uh, at, uh, at OutKick. And it's a very unique site. If you haven't checked out before, I strongly encourage you to do so. Whitlock, of course, was at the Kansas City Star for years, uh, covering the Chiefs and the Royals and all those teams, KU as well, and, uh, you know, doing a great job with that. And so over the years, Whitlock has earned a reputation where people – you either love him or hate him. Um, and as of late, the the big thing that Whitlock has been talking about um, has been about the culture war going on in the sports world uh, when it comes to uh, Colin Kaepernick and when it comes to uh, Black Lives Matter and, and such. Uh, he's been very vocal and very outspoken on how he feels with those issues. And uh, I want to play you uh, some of the sound bites uh, from my interview with Whitlock, and then uh, I'll get you my reaction afterwards as well. Uh, I asked Whitlock about fans with the return of sports. One of the things that Whitlock has talked about, he was on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News just a couple nights ago, was how much the NFL in the NBA is conforming uh, to please on certain people of sorts that uh, week one of the NFL season, they're going to play what's known as the Black National Anthem on top of the uh, National Anthem. Um, And basically what's going to happen is that some guys are, everyone's going to be standing for the Black National Anthem and then guys kneeling for the American National Anthem. And... You know, you're creating tension, an issue that's not necessary. The NBA, um, they're going to allow Black Lives Matter to be on the courts in Orlando when the NBA bubble starts back up. And, you know, that doesn't come without some controversy. They're also going to let these players uh, wear on their jerseys uh, certain selected slogans of sorts uh, to promote social causes. And uh, 
after the interview, just a couple days later, uh, Senator Josh Hawley out of Missouri uh, sent a letter to the uh, the office of uh, the NBA, uh, to Adam Silver and Company, and what we heard from uh, the senator of Missouri, Josh Hawley, was he said, what about letting players wear free Hong Kong or back the blue? You know, why does it have to be these certain things? Why are you not letting the players choose what they want to promote and such? And uh, Woj, the uh, ESPN insider, totally out of line, sent an email to uh, Josh Hawley that said, F you. And he later apologized for it and such. And uh, Holly's response in a interview with Whitlock was, I don't want an apology. I want to see change and see stuff put into action. And so Whitlock's been very adamant that uh, the NFL and the NBA, it, with as much as they're trying to cater to a certain audience, they're alienating the other half of the audience. We've been a while without sports. Um, you know, we've had a few things here and there, like NASCAR, MLS is back this weekend. Uh, the PGA Tour has been back, but fans aren't there. We're still not all the way there, and we don't know what a college football season is going to happen and all these different things. People have been used to being without sports uh, for the time being. And I asked Whitlock, you know, these things that you mentioned that frustrate some folks out there, do you think it's going to affect the audience, the viewers that watch, the people that tune in? This is what Wetlock had to say when he joined me earlier this week on KLWN on the return of sports. I think that people have survived for the past four or five months without sports, and I think there's a thirst for sports, but if it's laced with millionaire athletes wagging their fingers at their customer base, and you're wrong, you're racist, you're oppressors, and we don't have any respect for the national anthem, we don't have any respect for the flag, I think you're going to see a large percentage of the traditional sports fans, black and white, but predominantly white, are going to be most offended. I think they're going to walk away from these games, quit watching. I've heard from just too many people. They're already frustrated and fed up. Having a bunch of millionaire, pampered, spoiled athletes preach to them. Right. So you heard from Wetlock there that it's the preaching to them part um, that is just so obnoxious and so annoying. Um, Yes, you get your opportunity, your voice of some sorts. We, We totally understand. But the sports world is supposed to provide an escape of some sorts. When I watch a sporting event, I'm going there to see the entertainment of the game. If I wanted politics, I'd be turning on MSNBC or Fox News or CNN. Instead, there's a political message being conveyed there, and that's going to alienate some people. And more than the NBA and the NFL realizes and such. And, you know, there's a a fine line, too, on the groups that you choose to support. I said this a while back, and I'll say it again. No one is denying that black lives matter. Of course they do. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Of course black lives matter. Um, 
but the organization that's attached to it that started this movement has a very questionable history, questionable things they stand for. And one of the problems that you have is, can you promote the movement without promoting the organization of the same name, especially one that that stands for? Everybody agrees Black Lives Matter. That's not the issue here. It's if I say that enough and promote that agenda, am I giving PR? Am I promoting that organization in the process and people that don't donate this this group? Here is Jason uh, with me on KLWN this week uh, with the breakdown of just some of the things that uh, BLM is about and some of the things they stand for. I mean, this should be alarming if you didn't know these things before. Black Lives Matter, which is, to me, a political movement. It's not a movement about injustice or justice for wrongfully killed black men or whatever. It's a political movement about imposing far-left ideology on the rest of America. If you go look at like who founded Black Lives Matter, They've acknowledged they're trained in Marxist ideology. It's a Marxist organization. It's a revolutionary organization. It talks about disrupting the nuclear family. And it's not a patriotic organization. And that's why I look at these sports leagues that have built themselves up to an incredible level of influence in American society by attaching themselves and promoting the values of Americana and the uh, the best ideals of America and being a representation of that, and to see them betray all of that out of fear of this Black Lives Matter movement. Because, again, you do any research, just light research on Black Lives Matter, the facts about the organization is, is out there. And then if you just open your eyes, you, you say, oh, we're concerned about black lives. No, the reality is you're concerned about white perpetrators there you go pandering to a specific audience of sorts there and one of the things that i've been adamant on um you know when it goes to kaepernick who really got the ball rolling on this was that uh kaepernick maybe he had good intentions in his cause but he has been a terrible messenger for his movement um, you know, kneeling during the national anthem, if you wanted to draw attention to police injustices, maybe don't use our national anthem to push that. Maybe, I don't know, do it going into the halftime break or of some sorts. Maybe in between the third and fourth quarter, you take that moment to have your, your kneeling of some sorts or something like that. Uh, maybe don't depict cops as pigs. Maybe don't on the 4th of July come out and call the 4th of July a white supremacist holiday when we just want to, you know, barbecue and eat hot dogs and light fireworks and see our money burn away. That's the problem here is it's the messaging um, is that a lot of it is superficial here. And that's the point Whitlock makes. That's the point I agree with and that we have to move past um, if we want this message to be effective, you know, to, to see an end to police brutality and, you know, to these things like that, we need a unifying message instead of this division that we've seen 
really just elevate, uh, you know, among the sports world and such, and what's conspired over this, you know, last several years of sorts. Uh, that's certainly what's gone on, and it looks like the NFL and the NBA are going to be a part of embracing that divide instead of unifying and try to wait, find ways to bring us together. And and uh, Whitlock says there's going to be some repercussions. There's going to be some consequences to it. We'll see what happens. But uh, very interesting stuff there from Whitlock. And uh, certainly encourage you to check out uh, his stuff on uh, outkick.com. Doing a great job. Appreciate him giving us a few minutes of his time on uh, KLWN earlier this week. Before we get out of here today, I know Thomas has the week off. But I do want to still do our Tom Fullery story of the week. And uh, get this. Uh, Here's how the story goes. Stream of wheat. An enterprising French baker is switching up her bread recipe. Or should we say recipe? By using wheat fertilized with female urine harvested from public restrooms. According to a new study published by the French Urban Planning Agency, some 29 million loaves of urine utilizing bread could be baked daily, saving farmers 703 tons of nitrogen employed in artificial fertilizers per day. Perhaps it's true when they say April showers bring May flowers. Going to the bathroom is literally flushing potential down the toilet. Um... The uh, one of the people involved in this says when you pee in water, tr- water treatment plants, uh, they remove the nut- nutrients. They do not return to the earth. The system is not circular. It's unknown how urine affects the taste of the bread. So to further ensure its cleansingness, uh, ragout uh, dilutes the bizarre ingredient 20 times before applying it to the wheat used in Goldilocks's bread. The decision to employ female wee-wee was a part of uh, Ragout's uh, calls ecofeminism, which advocates using eco-friendly products to empower women. And the pea cycling program uh, isn't their only uh, female eco-initiative. The unorthodox inventor also has uh, Mac uh, Guy Veard, a female urinal nicknamed Marcel which she says helps cut down the wait time at a women's public uh, bathrooms uh, at events so there you have it we're uh, getting more creative when it comes to female urine um, now here's the thing if I'm going to try this bread and give this a shot let's get this bread um, don't tell me it's there um, this is one of those things I would like to find out after the fact if you put female urine in bread, I don't want to know right away. Uh, you know, Let me know after it's already there, after you've already infected it of some sorts. Now, here's the thing. Um, as long as it's clean, you know, if you've done the right protocol of cleaning it and uh, taking out any infections or any diseases of some, some, some sorts, I'm not opposed to it. Not opposed to it at all. If you have treated it properly then that's just fine. It's it's just like kind of reminds me of recycled toilet paper. Um, recycled toilet paper, I have no problem with the idea, with the concept of recycled toilet paper and its use of sorts. The problem I have with recycled toilet paper is that more times than not, it's very hard. 
it feels like sandpaper on your butt, and it's not pleasant. Um, if this bread tastes good, if it gets the job done, if they clean it right and it tastes good, more power to them for figuring something out here and, and getting this to work. Uh, I applaud them for finding a way to be efficient with uh, the, the female urine. Now, I did find it interesting that they can do this with female urine, but not with male urine, that there was enough of a difference there. Um, and, and that almost makes you nervous to think that, well, wait, one can be clean enough to eat, but from another gender, it is not. Um, you know, w- would I give this a shot? Um, don't make me the guinea pig. I'll put it that way. Um, I would be one of those people that would give it a shot after a few people have and gone through the system of sorts. Um, then by all means, let's see what this is all about. And if this bread tastes good and, you know, let's go from there. But don't make me be one of the very first people to try this bread and see if I suffer the consequences of some sorts from having uh, getting sick from this uh, this female urine bread uh, that's out there. Now, the urinal, I, I would say, you know, so they're putting these these female urinals in pu- public restrooms. I'm a big urinal guy myself. Uh, one day. I don't own a house right now, but one day I would love to, in the first house I own, I would like to have my own urinal in the house. That'd be a game changer. Oh my gosh. It would make, you know, going pee so much easier and so much quicker. If I could have a urinal in my house, that'd be awesome. And, you know, they figured out these female urinals of some sorts for these women. More power to them for being able to get for science to get ahead on this and figure something out and be energy efficient eco-friendly too that's great but a urinal in the house i think that's next level um you know i i I was doing some research and you can get a urinal in your house for just 500 bucks that sounds like something that you would only see at rich people's houses or something like that you could, for all intents and purposes, if you're one of those people that's trying to elevate your status, and I know this is funny, consider I'm talking about a bathroom, but if you're one of these people that wants to make yourself look cooler or richer than what you really are, whatever, um, that's what you do. You put the urinal in the house, and all of a sudden, uh, every guy you're cool with. Now, if you got a man cave... Then that's even better. If you got a man cave, it doesn't even need to be in the bathroom. You can just put it, you know, in the living room against the wall, and you're good to go. So yes, a urinal's a win. It, now, if it is going to be just in a normal house with you know females and such, then it should be in a bathroom. But yes, I am the pro uh, urinal in the house guy. Uh, need to make that happen. That is my lifelong dream. I don't ask for very many things in life. I just want a urinal in my house. That's all I ask for. On that note, that does it for Tom Fullery today. Uh, big thanks to Chris Plank for stopping by and joining us. Give him a follow on Twitter at Plank Show. It is great work, uh, hardworking guy. We're fortunate we get to air him on KLWN every Sunday night with Arnie Spanier from 
uh, 11 p.m. until about 2 in the morning uh, on Sunday nights. And, uh, of course, he's doing great work with the uh, Sirius XM Big 12 channel and uh, also doing a great job with uh, KREF and the Sooner Sports Network. He's certainly worth the follow. And although he's a big Sooner guy, he, he loves his Raiders and NASCAR and and he's all over everything, so he's definitely worth your time and definitely worth checking out, and we appreciate him stopping by. Thomas will be back next week. Thank you, the listener, for joining us. Uh, since Tom wasn't here, we didn't do a draft. Hard to do a draft when you got just one person, so we'll get back to doing a draft next week. Haven't decided what it's going to be. We'll, we'll come up with something good. I crushed Thomas in last week's draft. Uh, everybody thought I had the better options when it came to bad fast food. Uh, what the worst fast food chains were. So I'll chalk that up as a win. Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at TJ Media Group, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, and uh, also on Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore report. You can find me there. Would appreciate the follow and I would love to hear from you. Subscribe to the show, Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five star review or don't leave us one at all. And we'll see you right back here next week. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. Have a great week, everybody.